Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? I have had the pleasure of meeting and staying connected to many adoptee allies in the community over the last decade. Some of these individuals are birth parents. They have searched for the children they relinquished at birth and found them. What impresses me the most is their willingness to help other birth parents and adoptees be in reunion. Marcy J. Keepley, a birth mom in reunion since 2008. She co-founded Indiana Adoptee Network and testified multiple times throughout the years in support of OBC Access for the sister organization here, Hoosiers for Equal Access to Records, where she served as vice president. She also hosts a weekly Friday night virtual event Adoption Happy Hour, with global attendance from the Adoption Constellation. Marcy, it's a privilege to have this conversation with you, and I know you wear many hats, which we'll get to in a little while. I'd like to start off with speaking to you about our conversation last Saturday, which was about your book, The Shoebox Effect, and I'm enjoying your words. You put me there with the loss of your dog and the kindness shown by Gabe. So why don't, why don't we talk about the shoebox effect? Great. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. I was really looking forward to our chat and I'd love to share my story with you. The shoebox effect, actually, you know, my whole story began back in 2007 with the rediscovery of a little shoebox in my closet. The shoebox was made back in 1978 when I came home from the hospital empty-handed, when I lost my child to adoption. And I had placed some mementos and I wrote a poem and put some other things inside this box. And it was my way of being young and having no support system or anything like that, being able to contain my pain, my loss. I figured if I could put it somewhere that maybe I would be able to get on with my life. So I. In my young little mind, I made this shoebox and I've drug it around my entire life uh, for 30 years. And then it accidentally got knocked over on one evening in the fall of 2007. And I reopened it, started to think about my past, the loss of my daughter and the loss of my first love. And I knew it was just like it was a sign that I had to, to find her. I had to go back. Mm. So I take this, this shoebox and for, first of all, Jennifer, it's really interesting because I was so, after all these years, I was so intimidated still 
by the pain that was inside the box that I didn't open it for a couple of nights. I actually got it out and brought it out of the closet and, you know, moved it to my office. And then I brought it out to the living room, but I was still terrified to open it up. On one fall evening, I got myself a drink and sat down and said, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I opened up the box and I was surprised that, you know, there were no demons coming out of it, screaming at me and my hair blowing in the wind. But it was just, I just sat there and just reflected on the seventies and what happened to me. And I knew I had to find my daughter. And in my eyes, the only way to find her was to get to him. And I knew nothing. I was very naive back then. I was very, I did uneducated about adoption. Uh, all I knew was that I was just a grieving mother and wanted my child. I wanted to know how, what had happened to her. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I find him. We marry four months later. Wow. And we go on, yeah. And we go on a search for our daughter and we find her on Father's Day uh, 2008 mm. by a search angel in Arizona that I didn't even know, but I had landed on her website and she had a place where you could uh, leave a message. And I just told her a little bit of our story. And my daughter was in the registry, which I didn't even know about registries back then. And she was able to match us up the same day, the same day. The same day, yeah, that I that I wrote on Father's Day. It was that morning. I mm-hmm. left a message. And then that afternoon, she called me. And I was able to hear my daughter's voice that, that first time on Father's Day 2008. So when she called you, like, describe that conversation. Like, what's the first oh. thing she said? Oh, it was just, it was so emotional. Because uh, remember, he's with me. Mm-hmm. So she's not thinking that, you know, she's just thinking, she found, you know, that we found one another, that we were going to be connecting. And she just kept saying, I knew you would call. She said, I knew you'd find me. Mama, is this really you? And I wasn't expecting to hear that. I wasn't expecting her to call me mother or mama or anything. Mm -hmm. And I was totally taken back by that. She said that she just knew in her heart that eventually that we would find one another she had actually been looking for me for over a decade, but because obviously the records are closed, uh, she wasn't able to do so. And she was having issues with her health. And she thought that they would open it because of that. And she, she still couldn't get anyone to help her. And as a result of that, she had a stroke. She was 22 mm -hmm. and had had a stroke. Mm -hmm. Wow. She was having seizures and, I had him as a child. My grandmother had him as, as an adult. Part of when I relinquished, I completed all the medical forms and talked about having epilepsy as a child and, and convulsions. And I had meningitis when I was like 14 months old. And I had disclosed all this family medical history. And when we reunited and I was finally able to speak with her mom, none of that information was passed down. Mm. They they didn't get anything. She was a healthy white baby. That's all they knew. Mm. There's a lot of information left out or misconstrued when it comes to those records. Absolutely. And you know what else we discovered? Her birth certificate said that she was born in a different hospital. Wow. 
yeah, her amended. Yeah, her amended birth certificate right. was all was false. That's what I couldn't understand. I said, well, I've been here the whole time. I don't understand if you were looking for me for 10 years, why you couldn't find me. Then she said, oh, I have a fake birth certificate. And she went on and on. And I'm going, what? Mm. And the more I heard of the story of of her adoption, why we couldn't connect in these last 10 years, the angrier I got. Mm -hmm. So I started to do some some self-study myself on uh, closed records and, you know, obviously found out it was a state, a state by state thing. I was like, this is ridiculous. I mean, we are all adults. Why can't this information be released? Why did medical information, why wasn't that passed to the adoptive parents? And then my anger was fueled further when I found out that she was actually sold by my doctor to this couple that he went to college with because mm-hmm. he had he had orchestrated and solicited me for adoption. So he basically just sold her to this couple and they weren't vetted to be parents. And mm. She had a very, very difficult adoption. I went to, uh, I wrote my state senator. I said, you know, I would like to see what we can do about getting a, a bill uh, here in Indiana. Why can't we get our records open? And I found out we had a sandwich law that those individuals born from 41 to 93 couldn't have their original birth certificates. I partnered up with Adam Pertman, introduced me to Pam Krosky, who was in Bloomington, lived in Bloomington, and she was trying to do something there. And we kind of joined together and started to advocate for getting the records open for our state. Now, what what year is this? This was uh, 2009 Okay, But it took us a long time. And we finally, my senator and her senator got together. And finally, let's see, we testified in 15, 14. We started in 14. Finally, we got the bill read in 14. And then the bill was passed in 16. And then the records were open July 1st of 2018. Isn't it something how long it takes, like the process? Oh, yes. And in in Illinois, it was like a 14-year battle to get the records open finally in 2010. It's really something how long it takes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I had been journaling from the time I surrendered. And so it, it took me quite some time, but I finally wrote the book and it was published in November of 2019, The Shabbat's Effect. Wonderful. So, yeah, I, I'm approaching chapter four and... One of the things that it just stands out to me is when I like how you have, um, you know, unpacking your shoebox. Just because you, you write, just because someone else pressures you does not mean you have no choice. And I have really been thinking about that as it relates to my story. The book is a little bit of a, a hybrid. It, it was initially written as a memoir, and I was advised by a coach and she suggested that I change it up to make it nonfiction. I mean, obviously it it was the truth. I mean, it was a memoir. Mm -hmm. However, she said there was, the book was full of so many life lessons Mm -hmm. that if we could just change it up just a little bit, the way that the book is written is it's my story, but you're right. At the end of each chapter, it has unpacking your shoebox. And I, I ask two questions of the reader and give the reader the opportunity to do their own self-reflection. I like that. Yeah, and then some points to ponder. So 
it reduced my story because obviously, you know, I, we watered it down just a little bit, but I took those key moments in my life and wanted to share those with the reader because it's just a lot about obviously my story, my adoption story, but it is about loss in my, my personal family and how I rediscover, or I shouldn't say I didn't rediscover, that I uncover a story about my mother and my sister who also had physical shoeboxes. And, you know, the shoebox effect is real uh, for your listeners if uh, you know about it, but it is really, it's an insurance term. I'm a retired bank manager. I, when I was studying for my insurance exam, I learned about it then. And basically what it is, it's back in the, the late 80s, early 90s. The shoebox effect describes plan members who uh, pay for products or services rendered, and then they would save the receipts for submission to the insurer for reimbursement. What a lot of people did is they'd save all those receipts and they'd stick them in a shoebox. Then they'd forget all about it, and they never submitted those claims. So the insurance companies made millions of dollars because none of these claims were submitted. Right. And I use I use that analogy because just like us, I mean, we have experiences in our everyday life. You know, they're good and they're bad. You have those tangible reminders. And if they're good memories, you know, you get them out, whether they're pictures or maybe old tickets that you saved from your first date or whatever, you know, and you, you reflect on those good times. Yeah. It could be anything. You're right. Yeah. It could be anything, but those, but those painful moments in our life, what we want to do is we want to, like I did, we want to house them. We want to, we want to put them somewhere. We want to tuck those into a shoebox, throw that box at the top of the closet, throw sweaters over it, Mm -hmm. cover it up. We don't want to feel that pain. So we ignore it. Yeah. And when you write about the loss of your dog, because I'm a big dog person, and I've had dogs all my life, and I've had to put them down when they've gotten ill. And when you describe the loss of your dog, it's almost like you then go into, but it birthed something else, which was really big, taking on that challenge of the shoebox. Like how you tied that together gave me chills. Well, the rediscovery of the shoebox, like I said, you know, the just to set the scene for how the book opens, I was at a crossroads in my life in the fall of 2007. Mm-hmm. I had was separated from my husband of 17 years, and I was avoiding signing the divorce papers. My dog was dying of cancer, and I was avoiding putting my golden retriever down. So I come home that day, and I'm looking for Dreyfus, and he was not anywhere in the house and there was only one room in the house that he was not allowed to go into. And that was my bedroom. And I'm panicking because I can't find him anywhere. And he had burrowed himself inside my walk-in closet. And I interpreted it as a place to die Mm -hmm. because this was so uncharacteristic of him. And I looked and there and my floor was all my shoe boxes, you know, the closet was just in disarray. And I, crawled down on the floor and sat with him and held his head in my lap and I'm looking you know I'm talking to my dog I'm realizing I really need to do this you know I need to put him down Mm -hmm. and I looked up and I saw all those boxes of shoes and there that box that I made in 1978 that had a little ribbon tied around it lay on its side and in that moment in my closet it was just like somebody tapped me the universe god what whatever said to me this is what you need to do 
it's time. And I held him and it just triggered all the past. Mm -hmm. It just everything it just triggered everything. Like I said, it, it took me a couple of days before I finally opened the lid and it took me a couple of days to finally have the courage to put him down. But it was like this was his last gift to me. Mm-hmm. That's how you, I you that's to, how I felt, yeah. And it was like that chapter of my life ended right there in my closet. Mm. That, you know, I sat there and I remember, you know, thinking of my life the last 20 years and what it was like. And it was just like something was shifting in me. And I knew that I didn't know what it was. It felt familiar, but yet it felt strange. But I just knew that my life is getting ready to go on this this journey. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen. When you sat, when you when you finally sat with the rediscovery of this box, do you remember how long you sat with like going through it? Was it like hours or like how much time did you give it initially? Well, I was alone and it was it was about like three hours I think that I sat there and I cried. I shifted through the contents. It was just almost like I could take myself back. Like I said, that pain wasn't there. It was just this, this longing. And I remember standing in front of the mirror and in the living room there and just searching my face for that young girl. You know, where was she? What had happened? I knew that it was, it was just time. I was 52 at the time when we reconnected and we got married, you know, four months later. And then we find her on Father's Day. I can't. I can't wait to get to that part. You'll you'll learn more about my mother and and my sister, the volunteer work that I do in the adoption community, and how that transformed my life and put me on a new path. And I think those things those things are key because the rediscovery of that shoebox changed my whole life. Mm -hmm. It just set my whole life in a different direction. And now, you know, I've met all these amazing people in the last 13 years. You know, we've been able to change the law in our state with the the organization that uh, we were able to to found. We have an annual conference every year. All these things have changed and all these relationships that I have. My whole life has transformed all because of finding that shoebox in my closet. And I, I still... I'm amazed at where I am today versus where I was then. Last week when we talked, I said, you're absolutely right. Like the trajectory of my journey would be so different if I hadn't been adopted. I know when you, you said that your life is so different, like all the people we've met, all the relationships we formed, it wouldn't be that way without what no. we, yeah, what we've been no. through. That's that's the one thing that I still cannot get over. It, it continues to amaze me uh, where I'm at. And something else I discovered about myself. I mean, back in 2007, when I was sharing with you that I was at a crossroads in my life. I mean, I was living the American dream. I mean, I was, to me, on the outside, everything looked great. I was in my dream home. I had a six-figure salary. You know, I had the Lexus in the driveway. I was traveling. I mean everything to the outside world was fine mm-hmm. but on the inside I was broken and it was through coaching and therapy a mixture of the two that I learned that you know we can be broken and successful at the same time mm. that 
I had reached, you know, I had plateaued. That's, I, I'm living the dream, right? Right, right, yeah. Again, I had learned that skill of, of denying and being this, this other person, which I call the consummate actress <laughs> in, my, in my book, because <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had gotten very good at it. Right. But it, and now, you know, of course, I, I no longer work for the bank, and, but I have a new life, and I have found this purpose yeah, and a reason that to get up every day and to be able to connect with individuals such as yourself. And to share my story that is, you know, again, I'm a firm believer in the sharing of stories and how powerful that is. Mm-hmm. There's so much power in pain. You know, yeah. you can find magic in your mess if mm-hmm. you just dig a little deeper and and you're brave enough to do the work. And it sounds and, like you have a far more rewarding life since you've taken this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meaning more meaningful and purposeful Certainly, I mean, all the hats you're wearing, I, I'm just amazed at how you do it. And well, so, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about that, the, the NAAP. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the We were formerly Indiana Adoptee Network, and that was founded in uh, 2015. And we had our first conference in 2017 in Indianapolis. We were amazed at the attendance. And it came from, again, Indiana Adoptee Network was the educational, the post-educational resource spinoff after the law was changed. We wanted to be a resource. We wanted to be supportive of that. And we thought, well, we'll, we'll have a conference. But the attendance came from 22 states here in the U.S. and then three countries. I know when we had our wrap-up, after conference, we sat down and looked at each other and was like, we thought this was going to be for Hoosiers. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that was an intent. Right. But we, but we knew then that it was like, uh, well, wait a minute. This is really for everybody. Right. And it went from there. And we kept saying we outlived our name right off the bat from our first conference. It was mm-hmm. just like, you know, that this, this isn't who we are. Now, everybody knew that, obviously, and in our inner circle to the public, it seemed like we were still just Indiana based. And so the 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 vision was to eventually go national and change the name to be more reflective of who we who we are. Mm -hmm. So So you kind of knew right away that it was the name needed to change. But we just kept going because we were a little small organization. Okay. It was all, you know, just the, it was just the three of us uh, on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were three of us. And we just we just kept going because we just at that particular time, all we were doing was the, the conference. Mm-hmm. So as time went on and then with COVID, obviously our can our conference got canceled with the cancellation of our conference. I kept saying we've got to come up with something to keep everybody together until we know what the future is going to look like. And boy, did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. did that in a big way. And it, and it was, it's such a success, uh, but go ahead. Oh, it was just, it was, yeah, it's a cute little story. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm going to reach out to a couple of our, what I call loyal supporters that have never missed a conference who are always available for, to share ideas. And let's just kind of brainstorm. So I called uh, 
there were several of us together. And I'll go ahead and share those names. It was David Bowl, mm-hmm. Pittman, uh, Lynn Grubb, Paige mm-hmm. Strickland, and Rich Erlob. So I called them that afternoon and I said, hey, we did a Zoom. I said, you know, we really need to keep everybody together. And I would like to do like a, a Zoom call. And let's see if everybody, you know, maybe we could do it as a, you know, it's just a social thing. They came up with a name. I didn't come up with a name, but I came up with the idea. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd just literally roll out and uh, with a social hour and drinks and talk about uh, Lysol and <laughs> a shortage of, of toilet paper, you know, those types of things. <laughs> and right away we had this attendance. This many people want to talk. And that's the more I got thinking about it, I thought, well, why don't we have guests on maybe they could present or we could do interviews so it just grew and evolved and wow so and it just morphed from there right there this is bigger than like the name is nice but it's so much bigger than that like Uh like the experience for me and and so many others have said said to me it is so healing and and informative like it's all this stuff in one and and we're staying connected Mm-hmm. And we're staying connected. So we thought that this was going to be temporary. Things would change and people would get busy in the summer. Right. And, and it didn't stop. Wow. So here we are. Then we've just finished our first year with 47 episodes. Wow. Yeah. We gained 1,114 new followers. <sighs> Again, wow. from one little simple idea. Right. And we've, we've had everyone on. Uh, from the adoption constellation to share the sharing of personal stories to authors to comedians entertainers you know we collaborate with other organizations and talk to the you know the founders of those organizations we've had musicians on we've played music we've had book readings book giveaways Uh, we've done discussions about this is us you know, we continue to have that steady attendance and it's just, it's great. It is great. I, I enjoy, I enjoy uh, elevating the voices of others and getting everybody together. And it's just, it's just been wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Very thankful for the happy hours. It is. And, and you know, I have, I'm so glad, I just got to say this. I'm so glad you recorded because it has allowed me for the times that I've missed to be able to go back and see it on YouTube and and also there have been some I I think I've gone to maybe two dozen, and I've even gone back and watched ones that I was in attendance. I've watched them again, so that recording is perfect. Thank you. They really are enjoyable and informative, and and I'm I'm glad um, that we're able to to continue to offer these. I am too, and and I and I have been able to meet, <clears throat> excuse me, people that. I wouldn't normally meet because of uh, the pandemic and and because maybe I w- wasn't at a conference. It, it's so, it's like I'm definitely more connected to the community and it feels really good. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, one of the um, happy hours, I met a birth mom who's 83 years old and we talk every Saturday as a result of meeting her and on happy hour. Well, I think, it, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that wow. something? Like, we have really connected. And I know she would have not been at a conference, you know? So mm-hmm. it definitely is an added value 
for so many people. And and so there's an in-conference plan this year, right? Yes. Okay, so our conference is scheduled for September 10th and 11th in Indianapolis. We already have, I believe, 100 registered. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, so we're super, super excited about that. We've got 14 workshops. It'll, it'll just, we have uh, Brian Stanton, who's going to be uh, presenting Ghost Kingdom. Mm. Yeah, and we're super excited about that. The fact that we're all going to be able to be physically together again. So it's, it's, it's going to be great. You can, yeah, you can visit our website. You can register from the website. You can also, we also have a Facebook conference page. And if anybody has any questions, they can email me at um, Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at napunited.org. Okay. Yeah, I'll put all that in the show notes, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So what would you share with those who are interested in searching for original family members? That's a really, really good question. I think two things. Educate yourself and have a... Mm-hmm. Personally, I was so as I shared with you, I was so naive about reunion. I was uneducated. I was unaware of, you know, the depth of the emotions that, you know, that would unfold, how I would regress to this younger self, how it was going to affect others. You know, I was just a mother grieving for her lost child. And I just wanted to find her. And I just believed that once that, <clears throat> that I could hold her and share my story, that this reunion was just going to be perfect, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't understand how wrong I was about that. Mm -hmm. And I entered it by myself, okay, by myself. So I had no one to support me. So I just really think it's important that that you connect with someone who has experienced it, whether it's an adoptee or, uh, you know, a parent, that you educate yourself by, you know, asking them, you know, what resources are out there. I mean, that's one great thing about NAP is our website is chocked full of resources for those in beginning the reunion and those in reunion. Mm -hmm. So stay educated, stay connected to others and just don't go out and (laughs) like I did. I mean, I just, I stumbled through reunion. It was, it was very, it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say education and a support system are the two main things. And I've had adoptees tell mm-hmm. me recently that they got connected, like they're brand new to the community, and their connection was first through NAAP on Facebook. So your presence there automatically gives people a a, a place to start. Well, thank you. And, you know, that's what NAP is. I mean, we are a little different than other organizations, and, you know, we are, we're not member-driven. We are resource heavy mm-hmm. and uh, we, we have a universal calendar of other organizations with their conferences or their meetups or, or whatever it might be. That's part of our mission is to, to elevate those voices. So, you know, NAP, you can go there and you can, you know, there's a section for adoptees, for parents, for adoptive parents. And, you know, we recommend books, movies. Like I said, support groups, conferences. Uh, we talk a little bit about happy hour. I mean, you can, it's a, it's a hodgepodge of things. It really we, is. We also have a list of 
recommended adoption competent therapist, mm. which is very, very important. So you can go there and you just tap on the name and it takes you right to their 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 personal practice and you can reach out that way. So, yeah, I highly recommend that you visit our and it's a brand new website that we just launched in January, too. So it's it's really we're really proud of it. And go ahead and register for conference. See a little bit about what that's about. And yeah. The, the amount of work you do to keep the page going and keep things all the lineups and all, like you have to have a team. Are you yes. doing this all by yourself, Marcy? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 a lot of credit to Jennifer Falsing and, and Jennifer is a vice president and also secretary of the organization. And she has been instrumental in social media and continuing to, to, to get us out there. Yeah. And I owe her a lot of, I give her a lot of credit for really helping to elevate us and, and get us out there on social media. She's just been instrumental. But, uh, yeah, we're also building our board out, a diverse board that we'll be making some announcements shortly of, of our board members. We also have a program called the Ambassador Program where we're forming committees. And in these committees, we call the chair people ambassadors. We're rolling out this program and very shortly, and you're going you're gonna to hear about, a lot about that. And then our first newsletter is just getting ready to come out. So oh, that's exciting. For that. If you're not already, get on our email list, and we'd be happy to, to share that with you as well. We talked a little bit earlier about how rewarding life can be when, when you are giving and receiving within the adoption community. What's been the most rewarding thing about being connected to the community? <laughs> I, I think it's love and support. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think there's anything that can replace just being around people that get you, mm-hmm. you know, that validate your feelings of loss, regret, guilt, that they make themselves available to listen and really understand, you know, what's on your heart. Right. And I think there's just, that's what they've given me just to have someone not just listen, but really hear you. They're approachable. It's love and support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm not an adoptee. And my experience is different. However, there are some things that I have in common with adoptees because, and you'll find this out in the story, in my book, uh, I was abandoned when I was five in the 60s. My parents got divorced and my mother, just one minute she was there and the next minute she was gone. Both parents immediately remarried. So I was raised by um, a step a stepmother and my father. It's not the same as an adoptee, obviously. I, I, I don't have that experience. But I do know what it's like to, to grow up and love another mother. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you shared that with me. And I do know, thank you, and I do know that abandonment feeling mm-hmm. with no explanation at all. Just one minute we were this family and the next minute we weren't and nobody told me anything yeah my inner child you know the little the little girl automatically started forming her own belief systems I still have abandonment issues that I constantly have to to work through but 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 anyway I do sometimes think about that and how adoption was introduced to me at a very young age because when my parents do remarry my father 
Uh, my stepmother had a, a three-year-old and he legally adopted her when she was five. She has an amended birth certificate. Of course, she learned more in the, in the book about uh, uh, some other things as well. But Yeah, your book is pretty popular. I've talked to a lot of people that have read it and they totally enjoyed it. And I'm going to be on that list real soon. And I'm glad we connected. Oh, I, me too. I, I really, like I've seen you, but we just to really talk with each other has been special. Like I told you last week, it was such a blessing when you shared with me your journey. And I, I, yeah, I just appreciate you having this conversation today. And in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish to share? Uh, Two things. Yes. And I appreciate you asking me that. I did want to mention about a couple of projects of future books that I have going on. Okay. Uh, I wanted to bring that up. First of all, I am doing a, a workbook that's a companion to the shoebox effect. I had so many individuals that reached out to me that, you know, had more questions about the shoebox effect and more my story. And I'm kind of a little bit of a personal development junkie. I love, I love to read a lot of nonfiction. And I thought, you know, that's pretty cool. I could, I could do a workbook. It's a hybrid of a little bit more of my story since my book first was published. And then it has activities to begin your own personal journey, how to do some inner child work quotes, resources, and just a place to reflect. So it's going to be, it's like after the shoebox effect, you know, how to master it. I like so, that. That's, yeah, that's really yeah. good. Yeah. And I think that's really important for, for adoptees and parents, you know, to, because our journey never ends. It's, it's, it's a continuation mm-hmm. of, of our growth. So I thought, well, there we go. So a workbook's coming out. And then the second project is I I co-wrote a children's book called Frankie and Friends Talk Adoption. It is just the cutest little book with a little made up guy. And he's he's it's not a person. He's just a thing. He's just all made up. But he validates what an adopted child may be feeling and lets lets them know that, that it's okay. He's on our website. I'm working with Nancy Verrier. We've had this idea about doing a parental guide that goes along with Frankie. So in other words, it's for the adoptive parents that where they can do a deep dive and why these questions adopted children may pose these questions and what the meaning really is behind all that, that it's, you know, it might be simple to answer for the child, but it, for the adoptive parents, it'll really be able for them to dig deep and, and to understand uh, why adoptees have these feelings and these questions. So she and I are working on that right now. Now that's really something to look forward to. Because Nancy yeah, Berrier, so yeah, like she's a wealth of wisdom, and I like her so much. Yeah, she's a, she's a really sweet lady, and I'm I'm enjoying working with her. So, yeah, I can keep you posted on when that's coming out. We really don't have a date yet, but hopefully sometime in the fall. And then the last thing I just wanted to say is, you know, we really all have a story to share, and not all stories are meant to be books. Uh, maybe somebody excels at speaking, and they're just public speaking but whatever whatever method you have to deliver your story it's just so important you know they're just not meant our stories just aren't meant to be shelved and just collect dust yeah they're meant to be shared and given that opportunity to to touch and change lives and to transform lives and like I said for me I just found power in my pain and in my loss it didn't happen overnight but it just you know it happened all the same and like I said I just look back over my my life the last 13 years and I'm just 
amazed at how it's transformed and all the people I've met and relationships and places and all because of that little old shoebox. So yeah. I appreciate you having me on and thank you so much. I appreciate you being being on too. And I agree. My thing for people to remember is that you don't want your story to die inside of you because Mm-mm. you heal when you share it and others have the opportunity to do the same. This is really well, great. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much, Marcy. Oh, well, you're quite welcome. I really, really appreciate being here this morning. The first chapter of my book free on my website, I do offer that. Oh, wow. Yeah, for somebody that just wants to I don't know if, if this book's for me, but mm-hmm. so the day Dreyfus died is out there on my website. Oh, that's nice. I have all my, my volunteer work is, is at the end. So they have, they had me take that out because I had that woven in my story and my book coach had me take that out and put it at the back. They said, you can't detract from your story. So choices. If you were given a second chance to step back into time, and change a wrong and make it right, I wonder what you'd find. For God has chosen a special path for all of us, you see. Would you correct the mistakes you made, or would you let them be? As I look back on my own life, the choices that I made were ones that helped me grow up strong. None were made in vain. Regardless whether right or wrong, each one helped me to see that only when we fail to choose, our lives can never be. You have a choice to start each day with happiness and joy. Or you could choose to stay in bed, depressed, removed, and void. You have a choice to share your life with friends and family. Or hide away within yourself and miss your destiny. You have a choice to take a chance or let it walk on by. But you will never taste success unless you reach and try. For failures teach us many things and are not meant to be a way to give up on a dream and hand away the key. So when you choose, choose carefully and look within your heart. For only when you fail to choose, your life can never start. That's beautiful. I really appreciate Marcy taking the time out to have a conversation with me. It was most enjoyable. She is the author of The Shoebox Effect, Transforming Pain into Fortitude and Purpose, as well as the co-author of Frankie and Friends Talk Adoption. She is a director for Women's Rights Publishing and Author Services that gives voice to inspiring women, authors, and resides in Southern Indiana along the banks of the Ohio River. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review, subscribe, give a rating, tell a friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word. Hashtag Adoptee Land.